up, sup, people? It's been a while since I dropped a new episode, but I've recently moved and been dealing with some family and personal stuff since late May and into June. That said, I got a really special guest this week leading up to the two-year mark of Michael passing away on July 20th. The timing and the recording of this episode couldn't be any more timely and meaningful for me either, being that this week is my birthday. Anywho, before I start to get all choked up, my guest this week is Josh Summers, Michael's good friend and co-author to his first book entitled The Buddha's Playbook. Josh and Michael go way back to their early 20s and young adulthood due to some rather serendipitous events and their mutual interests in Buddhism, psychology, and the integral movement. This is actually my third conversation with Josh, but due to the somewhat emotional and delicate nature of Michael passing away, we decided to only record this conversation and are actually planning a few others due to our shared interests in other subjects. I hope you all enjoy our chat. Make sure to check out the links and notes. And I'm looking forward to reconnecting with many of you and can't wait to hear what you all think. Peace. Boom. Here we go. So this is actually our, our third conversation. Uh, but this is, you know, we chose to go and record this one. So I, I'd like to just kind of start off maybe how, you know, how we met and how we kind of connected with Michael as well. I'll go first and then you can kind of go out and share from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Michael really came on my radar. I mean, after the launch of his book, I mean, his book was launched in, I guess in February of 2020. Um, and then he really came on my radar then. And that's when I discovered his interview with Jeremy Johnson that he had done on Gepser. And I was like, wow, what is going on here? You know, this is, this is a weird crossover, you know, for, from somebody that's been so engrossed in integral theory and the integral movement for a number of years, uh, but not that well-informed, I guess, in terms of left-wing politics. <laughs> Michael's very much more to the left than I would ever go and describe myself or kind of how I fell on the political spectrum. Um, and then he went on the STOA uh, in May of 2020. And the STOA has turned out to be a sort of uh, a second wave of the integral movement in a certain way. Yeah, I was going to say, before, over. if I can interject, for, um, yeah. I'm, I'm very much in the woods, <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Um, so the, what's the STOA? Well, the STOA was launched at the beginning of the pandemic, kind of like Rebel Wisdom. And they've both been piggybacking very much on Ken Wilber's work. So anybody that's been familiar with uh, Wilber's work and Jordan Peterson uh, kind of fall into those orbits of those kind of online tribes um, Mm. or mimetic tribes, as they like to go and call it. So uh, once that happened and Jeremy was somewhat involved in that, I reached out to him and we organized a call and I actually talked to him on July 20th. Uh, the same right. day that uh, Michael passed away, mm-hmm. um, I we Jeremy and I literally like ended our call, and he pinged me. He DM'd me saying that Michael passed away, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like that was just like I was like, "That's like I don't, I can't grasp. I could not grasp what had just happened." And then obviously the news started to go and flood in, and Jeremy and I were both kind of just. I mean, bulldozed at that point. We couldn't go out and figure out what had happened. Um, 
And since then, I mean, I've been trying to go out and reconstruct uh, some of Michael's life and just more and more that I do that. And now through the conversations that I have with you, um, I've been just even more touched by his life and the impact that he's had on other people. Um, and uh, I mean, that's why I reached out to you. I mean, that's why I want to go and have this conversation and record one conversation together and put that out there because I know there's a lot of people uh, like me, Jeremy, uh, and you that are familiar with Michael's work prior to his kind of shot to fame. And it's that part is really being left out of the conversation. Um, so, and you're, I mean, you were there from the, from, you know, from that, you know, and you're probably, you're the best person that I can go out and find that can go out and fill in some of those gaps there in terms of, you know, his interest in Buddhism, his interest in mindfulness, uh, uh, his interests or your connection to your uncle Bob, <laughs> right? Uncle Bob. Uh, well, you know, so, maybe that's yeah. maybe a good place to just mark it. Um, like his, like the the pre and post fame, Michael Brooks, and yeah. and I just for so everyone's clear, I'm very fuzzy on the post fame, Michael Brooks. Yeah. Uh, um. And, and, and we can get into that a little bit, but yeah, yeah, right. You reached out to me. Um, I think even this year it was, yeah. uh, and, um, I think there's a few other people, uh, one, another Eric, in, in fact, um, <laughs> cool. who really had found Michael towards the end of his life and were like you, I think just captivated by the kind of view and vision that he had um, in terms of what he was drawing and synthesizing and, and, um, and, and, and trying to imagine um, for me, if we go in reverse chronology, you know, I, I had had a bit of a kind of a, you know, like a, a low key estrangement from Michael, as, you know, and we can get into that around uh, kind of a failed business venture um yeah. and, and people should listen to i mean anybody listening to this should go back and probably and i'll put that in the show notes definitely mm. to listen oh, to your to your podcast there because i mean you get into that beautifully in a very touching way as well yeah but uh yeah but yeah, yeah so so right and 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 uh, the reason i mentioned the estrangement is only that in the beginning of 2020 so i guess before his book even came out um we had uh, really, I think, initiated and, and maybe even realized a rapprochement of sorts in that, um, you know, and it wasn't like a major thing. It was me just reaching out and saying, hey, I'm really sorry for some of the shit I did and for our estrangement now. It wasn't even named like that, but, and he just said, we're back, you know, it was immediate, you know, we're, we're back. And, and it really was like that. And we had some really good long chats in the early part of 2020. And um, we had planned to get together at the, in August of that year, um, he's going to come visit me in Boston. And like you, his death was another shock. I, I think I've said this, shared this with his sister, but um the way I came to find out about it was that he died was the, the ebook that he, I had written called the Buddhist playbook, which on a good year might sell two or three copies mm. online. It just, it just, and it was just sort of 
by virtue of not getting promoted and not really profiled well. But um, that night, suddenly there was just this flood of purchases on through the website. And um, my initial feel, fear was that there was some sort of hack underway that I was getting my website, which had been hacked in the past, was getting hacked again. And I reached out to my my web person. I said, what's going on here? Mm. And it was the, it was the morning after that, uh, that it, I, I learned that, um, that he had passed. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was going through a major life transition that around that time anyway, I was, I was, I left my marriage and, uh, was sort of trying to regroup and figure out my next move in the transition. Um, and his death kind of just sideswiped me, uh, yeah. in terms of it, the, it just it's the inconceivableness of it. Um, and it was really around that time that I think I, and I know, I know I've talked about his, this with his mother, that we realized to the degree that he had this global presence and impact that was just enormous. Yeah. Um, and, and I really felt at that point, like the, the aloof older brother who was kind of oblivious to his younger brother's achievements and, and, um, yeah, uh, just as achievement. Um, so I, I'm in, thanks to people like you, particularly you, Eric, like, I feel like yeah. I'm slowly, um, wor working my way through the grief process and, um, coming back to, uh, discovering who Michael was and who he became through his writing and through his podcast and through his work and, and, and like you finding such interesting vitality and, and depth in, in, in what he was doing. No, I mean, in, I mean, same thing for me. I mean, I was not at all in his sphere, his political sphere. I mean, Jacobin and, you know, the, the more kind of economic left type of, politics that he got attracted to and get pulled into. Uh, I mean, I was familiar with it, but I was not, you know, fully aware of who some of the major players are in terms of, you know, the, the, the main people behind Jacobin, mm. um, you know, maybe somebody like Ben Burgess and stuff like that. I had been following cause I'd been following uh, somebody else by the name of Matt McManus in terms of his writing on postmodern conservatism that had really kind of uh, grabbed my attention uh, the same way kind of Michael did. But once I saw the integral influence in Michael's work and he had done, you know, a few live streams on, uh, on uh, Ken Wilber's book, uh, uh, Brief, uh, I think it was a, was it a brief history of everything or a theory of everything I think he had done that mm -hmm. kind of could break up the four quadrants and talk to people that are much more on the economic left that might not be familiar with his work. And, um, that was the amazing thing that once I saw that, I saw his, his ability to go and communicate across the whole political spectrum. Um, and not only do that, but also bring in the, the topic of religion, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he was very brave to go and talk about his interest in mindfulness, uh, you know, how he, he was influenced by, you know, the, the insight uh, meditation uh, practices and the communities that he had been participating in. Um, and that's where you come in. I mean, because this is where you met him at that particular yeah. point in his own particular development and journey uh, that you talk about a lot on your pod. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe we can kind of start there because it's, 
to me, it's, it does. I mean, it sounds like a, you know, a sort of brother, you know, two brothers that, that, that came together at, or two friends that came together at a particular point in their lives that had a lot to go and work through yeah, uh, and grow and develop. I mean, he was 18. You were how old? I guess you were about, I, I was about 10 years old. I was 28. Yeah. The year it would have been roughly 2001 that we met. It was a okay. new year retreat. It was, it was like from the 26th or 27th of December to the 8th of, De- of January. And, um, uh, so this is at the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, which is one of the oldest, sort of the, the flagship of insight meditation or Vipassana practice in North America, founded by uh, Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, and Jack Cornfield. And, and um, it's worth mentioning that I know Michael had a, a very close personal uh, relationship with Joseph um, as his main primary teacher. Um, but prior to that retreat, uh, and this is sort of like the first icebreaking conversation I ever had with Michael, yeah. which we were milling around the dining room and, 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 you know, it's like, you're sniffing everybody out and like, is, is this your first retreat kind of conversation? <laughs> <laughs> is this your first time here? How many times, you know, and, uh, and Michael very, you know, confidently said, this is my first retreat of this length. And I, at the time, like, I was like, what do you mean this length? <laughs> do I need to start measuring my retreat lengths and that kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, so it, what I, what I learned, I think later was that he had been part of a, 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 a group of young, young adults, you know, teenagers that uh, were essentially somewhat groomed and recognized through social networks to, who are promising young Dharma practitioners and, 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 and leaders in that world. And so he would uh, partake in this, um, that, that small group led by some of the senior teachers at Insight. Um, and they would get together on the, on the summers and have a, a, a kind of a, a really nice retreat on the vineyard, Martha's Vineyard together. And he was always talking about his vineyard retreat and his community there. And I always felt like a little bit of a, like the guy that didn't get invited to the party at the right time. And, <laughs> um, and we would joke and I would tease him about it. Um, but that's just to say that he, you know, I don't know, what was it 14, 15, 13, whatever early ripe age he was, he was attracted to that sort of thing. And on that retreat that we had, uh, this, everyone gets divided into small interview groups about say seven to 10 people meet a few times with a teacher as a group just to talk about practice. Yeah. And uh, it was clear that we were in the, the, um, the under 35 group, <laughs> you know, there's like everybody else. And then there was this small little pocket of people, kids under 35. And um, I think I probably dropped the Wilbur name first in the group, you know, I was like, well, you know, and this is sort of me, me, me um, you know, intellectualizing and trying to yeah. assert my own knowledge base. But I was like, yeah, it was Ken Wilbur says, and of course, then there was like two other shares and people like, I'm just having a hard time with something. You know, there's a lot of tears in these groups and, and someone was having a really hard time. And then the next person kind of did the same thing. And then it got to Michael and he's like, well, I can just come back to that point about Wilbur, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And he kind of took me to, I don't remember what exactly it was, but he, he said something very intelligent and insightful. And we kind of looked at each other and it was, if you've seen Step Brothers, um, yeah, 
Will Ferrell and John C. Is it John C. Riley? They look at each other. Went, Did we just become best friends? And there was that moment. <laughs> like we just like, rose. Holy, you're into Wilbur. You're into this. And 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 after that retreat, uh, you know, we exchanged numbers. And this is back in the day of flip phones. And you know, yeah. so we just we just would uh, we kicked up a friendship. Um, and and to what you are, I think you're intimidating earlier. Is that you know, it took us a while to realize this, but. Um, I want to say this carefully. It's like the relationship I had with Michael, if I look at it, like zoom out enough, it has the elements, the same emotional range of, you know, a deep love affair. This yeah. was purely platonic, but the relationship. And, and so you, when you meet somebody, you feel that instant connection with, there's a timelessness to your friendship. That's from day one. Um, Often that has uh, a historical uh, family of origin overlap. You know, both people in the relationship have that similar family structures that that are resonating within the relationship uh, and and kind of getting reenacted in the relationship. And I think we both had very very unstable childhoods, and yeah. um, and I think. I know I, I'll just speak for myself. I know I was seeking something in the Dharma and meditation that would help me make sense of how to create stability, how to be functional, how to, you know, um, not be hobbled by, by that kind of a, uh, a challenge. And, and, and for Michael, and it's been talked about elsewhere, but, you know, he had a very unstable, um, challenging upbringing, loving parents, but just, just yeah. uh you know some some real hard hardship. hardships yeah yeah and so uh i would say you know from meeting him on that retreat we 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 had the friendship forming and he was going into college and doing things before and after college and you know when he would come through boston we'd hang out and stay with me a couple nights and 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 i'd see him out in the valley where he grew up if i was out there um and we do retreats again. We were, we sat a few, I know we sat a few retreats and I was thinking about that itself, uh, even this morning in my meditation, that there's something about a friendship um, that that's different when you share significant periods of silence together. And um, I mean, people that go on retreats and you, I know you've done them yourself, uh, you do feel a certain affinity for people, but then when you know someone in the particular and you, you you're with them in that space and seeing and sensing and, and intuiting what you know they might be wrestling with what you're wrestling with it it, it does forge a kind of a deeper a, relationship a deeper bond that you it's hard to to put your put your yeah. finger on but um, i mean dharma brothers i mean even just you know, people that have gone on meditation type retreats. I mean, there's an element of the Sangha there that comes out and plays into it and finding sort of Dharma brothers, you know, even my own teachers and stuff like that. I mean, some of the, the experiences that they shared with me, you know, wasn't just always on the pillow. It was, it was after what would happen afterwards and the type of relationships and stuff like that they had forged. And um, I mean, that was another dimension that, you know, the reason why I wanted to go and reach out to you when I saw that deep connection there as well. And just after, you know, starting to listen to Michael much more as well. I mean, Michael, as somebody, he, you know, he wasn't just talking about material progress, 
you know, sort of left-wing economics, you know, if everybody just goes out and gets a living wage and then everything is going to go and be okay. I mean, he was really emphasizing a broader sort of picture uh, in terms of, you know, well, no, this would go out and open things up for people to go out and do interior work and get involved in these types of projects and, you know, and work on themselves and get involved in, you know, outside, you know, organizations that can go out and build civic bonds along with mutual loving bonds. Um, so he was really, once I start to see him the way he was talking about it, he was talking about it so integrally informed and yet he was massaging it into the culture in a way that was, and this is me afterwards looking at him, what he was able to go out and communicate just as a communicator. Um, then I saw all of the integrally informed sort of type of work that he had done. So it's once I saw the connection with you and the back and forth that you guys were doing this sort of relationships, mutual kind of mutual aid sort of brotherhood that you guys gave to each other and just the, the sheer education that you guys nourished between each other. Uh, I mean, that's why I'm always so excited to, to, to reconnect with you. I mean, these last mm -hmm. three conversations that we've had has just been so exciting to go and, and explore that and just talk about that. Um, but I guess my question is, is to you, and I guess I would have loved to ask Michael as well. I mean, did you guys actually grow up in a sort of religious household or mm -hmm. were you guys, you know, was there anything around the house that, you know, helped you guys gravitate towards Buddhism? What was your attracted to Buddhism? It's growing up? answer for myself than Michael, I think. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've thought about this a lot recently, but I, I grew up in a, an agnostic household. Okay. Um, uh, I would say a lapsed Episcopalian family. Both, both my parents were from, but I don't think they, there was never a, a tremendous emphasis of, even I mean, in, in, in my, own, my own nuclear family, it was never, it, it was a weird situation in that I grew up in a very Catholic town. Okay. So everybody, I was like an island of agnosticism within a, um, a sea of Catholicism. Okay. And, and, and that kind of created this very, I mean, it was a very odd consciousness to have growing up. I talked to one other friend that was in the same town who was also agnostic from an agnostic family. And um, it's, it's hard to make sense of the religion <laughs> of what religion is when it's around you like that. And you feel like you're an alien dropped into something that really doesn't have any, there's no explanation uh, for other than the one you're kind of figuring out in, in the playground. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, my, there were books, my dad had some books that um, like Herman Hesse novels and uh, Jung and some Zen books and a yoga book. And so there was interest in that sort of material. Um, although I don't really think my parents ever really, did much with it. I think Michael's parents were far more interested in like human development. And, and um, even at the joint memorial service. So this happened last summer. Uh, Michael's father is you or your listeners may know, like passed away literally within the week of when that memorial was supposed to happen. So yeah. they did a, they did a double memorial, which was sweet, really sweet in a way because many of his father's friends came and, spoke about him um, openly. And I got the sense that both our fathers were interested in human potential and, and, uh, and, you know, living your fullest life kind of 
thing. And um, even if it had a, you know, a, a mixture of self-help. Yeah. There was a large dose of self-help in that kind of psychology. Um, and uh, so I think Michael and his mother was, you know, in, really into yoga and, and um, they, they were, they just, they had a, a, their own kind of more homespun version of spirituality that I think for Michael was, 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 was very alive. Um, but I think we were, at least I think we were united around the, the, the primary experience of pain and, and, and trying to figure out um, a way through that. Yeah. No, I mean, cause I mean, that's the same thing with me. I mean, obviously very growing up in Quebec and then we've kind of talked about that. And th I mean, that seems to be a lot of case for a lot of people that gravitated or eventually grabbed onto Wilbur's work as well. Right. I mean, in the late nineties into the early two thousand, there really was this sort of boom around Ken Wilbur's work and his ability to go out and, uh, well, talk about religion and spirituality. Um, you know, not just, east-west kind of uh dialogue but in a sort of very deep psychological way as well um which had a tremendous impact on me and then once i saw you know that connection with michael and how he was weaving that into you know the sort of politics that he was talking about i mean i was just so floored um yeah and I guess, right and then he he was able to so he internalized the the integral framework or the integral model in a way that he was then able to, to, to speak from it implicitly without ever naming the, like the surface features of it in a way. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I think that was part of his, his brilliance. Like I, Michael's very, very good on details, very good like details in terms of like nuanced historical developments and facts. Um, but also that he has that amazingly broad, deep view of world history. Uh, and, and so it was like, I feel like Wilbur, that model, uh, it was like a shot of iron into his, his ability to, 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 to view and see and synthesize for me, like the Wilberian model was like a, a, a the the uh the necessary structure to make sense of the chaos that i was trying to make sense of like i i didn't have that ability to synthesize the way way michael did and and i going through a liberal arts education i was just overwhelmed and confused by the 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 the, uh, the fragmentation really of of uh, what i was receiving in my education and um, so Wilbur, well, but, but Wilbur held it together. It finally, co things started to cohere for me with Wilbur. Yeah. And I, I think, I think Michael already had such a, a deep sense of the coherence. And it was like the, 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 the model itself was just this extra a shot of clarity that, that, that he was able to, to launch from. But even, I mean, because at that point you had already graduated from university, you had mm -hmm. moved on. And I mean, Michael at that point was completing his, his education during this period as well, if I understand correctly, which was in, in international relations. Yeah. So, I mean, even just on that, in terms of overall topics, I mean, I mean, he got a formal education in international relations and political science in a certain way. So, I mean, he did go out and specialize in that kind of, uh, I guess, area, you know, and it would only make sense, I guess, that he would bring, you know, what he had previously in terms of the integral model and some of his own personal interests. But I guess this is, but your, your, both of your connection was really around Buddhism or the Dharma, or was it, 
would you say it's Buddhism? Because I guess now, I guess, because you have a deep sort of connection with the insight uh, meditation society and Buddhism, I guess the American Dharma, if you want to go yeah. that way. But you've branched out quite further as well. I mean, you're weaving in yoga, your whole yoga practice, along with being informed with the kind of, you know, the American Dharma that eventually went took root uh, through the Insight Meditation Society. Um, I mean, maybe you could talk a bit, a bit about that. I mean, how did you bring those two worlds in together for you? And where did it connect with Michael on the mindfulness front? What was the question about like how the two things that you wanted me to try to connect? Cause I was trying to formulate a, a response around um, well, I, cause, what, I, what, let me just say yeah. this one, one thing and come back to you. Um, I think it wasn't so much, you asked about whether it was like Buddhism that we really connected with. Yeah. I think the Buddhism was just the, the, maybe the, the container and it was a, it felt like a safe palatable container for what we were interested in and by and i don't want to say that too heavily but given his interest in religion as you noted mm. and particularly i would share with that the the um the the and, and this is i know kind of a, a charged thing to say but potentially the universal dimensions of wisdom traditions found throughout the world uh okay yeah. i think we, we shared a real interest in that and this came up in our conversations, but the, the notion that, you know, it's not just about technological change or better information that, that the, the level, the, the kinds of consciousness inhabiting these systems will have an influence on the manifestation of those systems and how they run and all that. So I think we were, I think we both felt it was a compelling idea of helping uh, individuals or collectives move through, you know, move higher up along the stages of development in terms of uh, human capacity and consciousness as a necessary correlate, not the, not as the standalone solution, but as a necessary correlate to mm. the kinds of um, better stewardship and uh, inclusivity and equity and equality that I think he, he really cared about politically. Yeah, for sure. Because so, so I know, you know, like I know towards the end of his life, his mother was saying he was reading Ram Das and uh, Ramana Maharshi. And, uh, and so he was uh, very broad and inclusive in terms of what he read. And it wasn't. So I come back to the idea that the, the form of Buddhism that we met under, I think could broadly be called like the, like, are compared to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Buddhism in that it, it was incredibly inclusive that, you know, that yes, it was insight based, but mm -hmm. every, every teacher we had had studied with non-dual teachers, had studied with Zen teachers, had studied with Tibetan teachers. Um, there was just a broad exposure and it, um, there was a lot of emphasis around finding your own practice within what's offered. Gotcha. And it, it, so there wasn't a huge dogmatic element or a ritualistic or a technique focused element to the insight crowd that we were part of and gotcha. what the insight meditation society is. So, 
Yeah. No, I mean, because for, oh, for sure. Yeah. I guess, because I guess what I'm trying to go out and figure out is, is, is whether he would have self-identified and openly, because I've never heard him do that, you know, self-label himself as I'm, I am, I'm a, I'm a Buddhist. So, and I guess this is kind of my interest is too, in terms of how you guys all kind of, you know, both of your careers. I mean, cause you both have amazing careers and, and interests and connections across, you know, obviously the integral movement, but also your connection to your uncle Bob. <laughs> yeah, we come, come to that. Um, the, um, yeah. Would we identify as Buddhist? Um, again, I'll answer for myself. Yeah. Uh, so do you know Stephen Batchelor? Yeah. The, um, kind of a, a prominent Buddhist atheist. He, uh, I think at one point he said something like, I don't call myself a Buddhist. I consider myself a Dharma practitioner. Mm. I had a friend, I, I spent a, a long time in Ireland. And one of my Irish friends, when I asked him about his Catholicism said, I don't consider myself a Catholic. I consider myself a practicing Catholic. And whether those two statements are similar or not, I'll, I'll leave it out open. But for me, I like the idea of a, a Dharma practitioner. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, I see it, the Dharma as a pragmatic philosophy to be engaged with, to be explored, um, to be realized within your own life. And uh, not while there are uh, metaphysical tenets that have been, that are, that are found within various traditions of Buddhism. Um, it's not, I, I want to be careful too, but I, 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 cause I think Michael and I really value the depth of these traditions, but it's all, and, and it's not so much that we're just cherry picking or I was cherry picking this and that and leaving aside the distasteful stuff I didn't like, but um, it's sort of in that spirit, like a, like a humanistic Dharma. Yeah. Way. Oh, for sure. I know. And, and beautifully put, I mean, cause even for, I mean, this is a question that I've wrestled even with myself in a certain way, having gone on retreat and that type of stuff. And I mean, what is the Dharma in the West or what is the Dharma or Buddhism in North America? Right. And how that's been shaving and, you know, I mean, changing it's been, you know, it's much more psychological, it's much more secular. I mean, it's adopted a deep sort of uh, psychological bent as well. Yeah. Right. I mean, I even think it's interesting that you're mentioning that the two of you, you know, through your attraction to the dharmas to actually go out and do some sort of deep-seated psychological work, individual psychological work associated with your families of origin and stuff like that as well. Um, well, yeah, and that would be something to come back to if you want. Yeah. Um, just that, I, I mean, that was one of the things I try to convey in, the, in that episode that I, I, I uh, dedicated to Michael in that you know, as his older brother, kind of, I came to see and, and just, I was blown away by how much work he had done personally in like within himself to do what he had ultimately done, Yeah, you know, to get where he got, it, it wouldn't have happened if he hadn't done a significant amount of work. Um, and that's just, that's, I mean, that is the inspiration he has left me. Mm you know, to, to see him before the famous Michael Brooks, to know him, know him during the, the developmental years, we call him, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it, and to see what he was able to achieve. It's, it, it's, it's amazing. It's really amazing and yeah. super inspiring to me still. Yeah. Um, well, and it's the, the whole trajectory from him being 18 all the way up to when he passed, which was 36, 37. 
He yeah. was 30, 36 or 37 at that point when he passed away. Just a, his, his birthday is on August 13th, I believe. Yeah. So he would have been coming into maybe, I'm terrible with, on the math, on the fly math, but yeah, something 36, yeah. 37. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what, what I'm trying to, well, no, I mean, one, one, one I, I think that's amazing as well. I mean, I mean, both of your growth from your early twenties all the way up to, you know, into your forties and now midlife, I mean, I'm 45 as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and I grew up very much like that as well. And, you know, in my early teens, discovering Wilbur and then moving through my years through college. And there's this whole cohort of people that have gone through that. All right. And Jeremy and some guys, you know, a lot of people out at the California Institute integral studies, um, and now there's a new generation as well coming up. There's millennials that are growing up within that framework. So, I mean, one of the funny things, I guess, on my pod that I've been exploring to people is connecting with Gen X and how we're connecting with millennials mm. and some of our own sort of political and philosophical kind of backgrounds and interests and stuff like that. And how is this all going and kind of going out and playing into the culture? But what I find a- interesting about your connection to Michael and Jeremy's connection to Michael is that it weaves in much in a deeper, more explicit way, the psychological and the philosophical, not just the political. And yeah. I guess what I'm getting a bit disappointed about right now is seeing in terms of how his, his work is being carried forward sort of in the public sphere is that it's purely focused you know, on him being a socialist and it's purely on his his politics, not so much on his broader interest in philosophy and how religion went out and formed that as well. And uh, so I guess, I mean, this is the other thing too, is that, I mean, both of you had a connection with your uncle Bob or Robert Wright. And I think this is hilarious too, because I mean, Robert Wright's career is an interesting one, just altogether, you know, on its own, but his interest in religion and his particular interest in Buddhism as well and seeing you guys in the mix with him you know kind of duking it out on some of these subjects and in stuff like that and you know what does this mean within our current context you know is buddhism true (laughs) type idea if you go and follow you know robert's Wright's book and stuff like that and and you being a practitioner and being involved not only on the you know the dharma and on the buddhist front but in the larger kind of cultural sphere around the whole yoga movement as well you know, and what is the Dharma in North America? What is Buddhism in North America? What is, you know, what is the yoga tradition now within North America? Um, so for me, that's interesting. And I'd love to have, you know, probably other conversations with you uh, that at one point or another, because my formal background in education is actually in religious studies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where I'm coming from a lot more. So I guess even my relationship to Michael, to Michael, my, my, you know, discovering Michael's work was, has been a political education for me. Uh, but I'm much more interested in the conversation like I'm having with you in terms of his roots and his interests on the philosophy and his, his connection to religion and to, you know, some of these other players that I feel is being left out of the conversation. And it's just too bad in a certain way. Um, yeah. I'm not, so that's where I'm again, a little bit in the woods uh, yeah. ar- around the legacy of the of his conversation um you know i think one one piece there's a few things that are, are kind of popping in my head around what you, what, in response to what you're saying um one is you know the michael and i think this is what we he and i connected with around which is that um we're both critical 
Mm. You know, we can be we have, we have a we can be have a strong critic lens on what we're into, and so as much as we loved IMS or Insight, yeah. there was a critical eye of around, and it was in, it was a, a Wilbur uh, shaped lens that was critical over what might be interpreted or seen as the kind of passivity that can be celebrated in certain styles of Buddhist uh, practice, yeah. you know, just like <laughs> be judgmental, you know, if, and so you yeah. know, Wilbur, as you know, yourself has named this as a performative contradiction around the judging, non-judging is better than judging. And, and, and so it, I think Michael and I both had our own, he was maybe a little more forgiving of it, but I, I, I know I bristled and we, we talked about it a lot around um, the kind of like, it's all okay. Whatever happens is fine. That's just your practice. Like there's no higher stages. There's no, diff, there's no depth of realization. There's just, there's just this. And um, I know for, as we were, as you were talking just then um, I remember a, a conversation I had with Michael that came back around that time of, post just early after college for him he was just out of college and he was that's when he and i i would say our second phase of our relationship kicked into gear that's when he approached me to with some uh, some business ideas and some collaboration things that he wanted to do and he was really trying to get his own his own professional life up and running and i remember him sharing that with uh one of his love teachers at the insight society and the teacher i think kindly said, you know, just remember, you know, you know, even if you're just bagging groceries at Whole Foods, you can still send loving kindness to every customer, you know, and, and, and Michael's reaction was <laughs> like, like that. <laughs> thank you for taking the words out of Michael's mouth. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Michael's yeah. like, I got shit to do. I got, I, I, he had a sense of him of, he just had that conviction too, which it was, was yeah. kind of an off the chart conviction around who he could become, uh, you know, and others have said this, I'm sure I said it somewhere else, but you know, the, one of the first things out of his mouth was I'm going to be a Senator at 18. He said this, and I know he's told other people he would, had plans to be president. So, I mean, he, he was not without aspiration. Yeah. And he had, even in that early days, um, and this is like a, a, a tiny vignette, but uh, NPR's programming in Boston through Boston University WBUR had a program called The Connection. And I grew up with The Connection. It was hosted by Christopher Lydon. There was a Freddie Hubbard song. I did the intro on it was kicking. And, um, you know, and I, you know, to me, uh, Christopher Lydon, the host, you know, was just like the, like at the pinnacle of public intellectuals and super interesting. And, one of the trips that Michael came to visit me in Boston, he says, well, I'll come over to you after I see Leiden. And I said, and he was like, you know, 20, 21 years old. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm, uh, I'm going to have a, a drink or a bite with Christopher Leiden. I'll come over and see you later. And, it, you know, so he had somehow worked his magic and like was like, had a very adult friendship maybe mentorship type of relationship with this guy. And it, it, he kind of had that magic around. He, he didn't see, he didn't see barriers to, you know, accessing anybody. Wow. Um, in a yeah. way that was like kind of breathtaking and terrifying to me. Like <laughs> I didn't feel like I had any right yeah. doing that sort of thing, but he, 
you know, he had a hustle side to him. He was a real hustler. And, yeah. um, and I, I just think that was part of his, his magic that, that allowed him to pull, pull things. Well, together. I mean, his show, I mean, the, the people that he eventually roped in to, to, as guests, you know, like he's interviewed Cornell West. He sat down with Chomsky, uh, you know, and he was fearless and he would go toe to toe with these guys in terms of holding, you know, real, you know, journalistics type of interview type stuff. So there was, I mean, that element, but I mean, I guess this is the other thing too, is that, I mean, both of this, this kind of intellectual sort of rigorous, uh, interest that you guys had around the Dharma, around religion and spirituality and stuff like that is, is something that almost that you guys share with Robert Wright, because Robert Wright is a very critical you know, in terms of his work that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the Dharma in a certain way, I mean, he's brought that sort of critical, I mean, I joke around a bit with you, this sort of his curmudgeon sort of uh, critique, uh, you know, uh, of various subjects and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I, I see that very much in, in the both of you in terms of um, that sort of uh, that willingness to go and be obviously very open-minded, but not fearful to go and also go be ruthlessly critical mm-hmm. in terms of the things and subjects that you guys are exploring. I mean, cause I listen now to some of your chats too with, uh, with Robert White and, uh, you know, in terms of how you guys are pushing the Dharma, you know, and weaving in evolutionary psych and cognitive science. I mean, this is not your run of the mill sort of Buddhist sort of interests. I mean, and even the other book that you wrote, I mean, co-wrote afterwards with after the uh, the Buddha playbook in terms of the mindfulness impact in sports and stuff like that, which is a very rigorous academic text that yeah. you were involved in in terms of going out and doing that. So that to me has all been very super impressive, and you know, I'd love to to explore that eventually a bit more as well. But I guess I'd be curious to hear, you know, like both of you, because you both had a relationship with Robert Wright, very different relationships with Robert Wright. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and how that spills over in terms of some of the culture war type stuff, particularly guys like Sam Harris and now, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson or even Michael's book in a certain way. Right. Yeah. His, yeah. New, his new book kind of plays on that sort of motif. And it seems like you guys were all cultivating or having these kinds of conversations in the background. So I'd love to hear a bit more about <laughs> your connection to that. Bob. Bob's- yeah. Right. So, um, Bob, Wright. Uh, so I, I think I may have met him physically first and I, I'm guessing that Michael was aware of him earlier. I'm pretty sure Michael was aware of before I met Bob. Um, and that would have been 2004. I think it was, it was, it was also Bob Wright's first retreat. <laughs> at, at the insight meditation society so there's like this like you go on your first retreat be careful <laughs> yeah who you talk to at the, at the at the lunch hour after um so i was this relates to the wilbur stuff i was deep into wilbur at the time uh, i think i was even in a course through naropa integral psychology it was an online uh, course yeah. on, on wilbur's psychological model and um i did a retreat one summer and at the end, this very tall, intimidating, lanky fellow came over and started grilling me in a way that was, it just felt really intense. And, um, and I didn't know who he was. And we, he said, well, let's sit down and have, have lunch. And we were opposite each other on the table. 
talking for a while. And then uh, another younger retreatant came over and said, excuse me, sir, are you Robert Wright? You know, and he said, yes, I am. Nice to meet you. And, and, and then they had a little chat and he came back to me and I, I basically said, wait, you're, you're somebody and you didn't let me know who you are. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't realize I'm talking to, because I had just said something like he, had, he was, he, I think he was asking about the nature of consciousness and, okay. it, and like his experiences of consciousness uh, in the States that he got into on the retreat, he didn't have a model to how to make sense of it is loosely how I'd hold that. And I said, you know, it's the, it's the line that I'll always regret. I said, you know, you seem like a smart guy. <laughs> you might, you might check out Ken Wilbur and he said, oh, you're the fourth person to recommend him this, 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 this month. And I can't get past all his jargon. And, and no so, way. and that, and that, that, that motif, that line has sort of, whenever I brought Wilbur's name up, um, Bob has, I think has this as many, you know, intellectual academic folks do there's a kind of allergy yeah to wilbur um there's like a there's a there's a deep-seated suspicion i think and 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 maybe and for rightly you know reasonable reasons um but uh so with that i met bob then and that was like just a very short meeting um but i then went home and looked him up and then when Michael would come visit, I just remember the two of us, Michael and I, sitting around watching Blogging Heads videos, and basically <laughs> him and Mickey Kaus, and and it was, it was like, um, it was an entertainment hour because Michael would just basically punt, you know, refract and, and and pontificate on what they were saying and making fun of what they were, how they were saying it and imitating them, and then we, and, and so I was trying to struggle to keep up with Michael around those 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 times, but. Um, we kind of, I became a fan of Bob's work. It, it dovetailed my interest in anthropology, um, particularly the evolutionary psychological stuff. Um, to me, Bob also felt like he was, the more he got into Buddhism was helping, I don't know, I, I, at that point I had kind of defected a little bit from my integral obsession. Mm. You know, there was some things that, uh, some conflicts, that I was seeing online and the integral scene that, and also some friends of mine that were deep in the integral scene. And I, I, I can't say what it was specifically. I just started to get the sense that there's a smell here. There's a whiff of something that feels like it's getting cultish. Yeah. And, um, and I had been working with a, a therapist at the time who actually knew Wilbur and it was sort of a, it was a move. I saw myself moving away from like having to have this meta meta intellectual framework to what does it mean to actually live from your heart let's <laughs> put it as simply as possible yeah and um and so i moved away from wilbur a little bit and found bob's um both his interest in politics and the impact of human psychology on politics just uh to be very compelling um so i became a, a fan a huge fan of bob's work and um and michael was too uh, it was only when I went back on a, a retreat later on and, and met Bob again that I would say a friendship with him started. Um, that was, it was the second retreat that we exchanged emails and met up more frequently on, um, on phone calls and things. And he would just reach out from time to time uh, with questions about, I don't know, he I can't, I don't remember if Michael had Bob on his show first or whether Bob had 
give me an opportunity to do, to do some interviews for his platform, Meaning of Life TV. Okay. But those things happen around the same time, I think, that, that yeah. Mike, Michael reached out to Bob. Um, well, Michael at that point would have, well, I mean, he would have just come on uh, Rob uh, or Bob's uh, radar at that point because of his sort of political type of, I mean, at that point he was on Sam Cedar's show. So, and then eventually launching his own show. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it was more on the political front or if they had connected more on the sort of through IMS and, you know, I don't think they had the, the IMS connection. Okay. Um, initially. And I, and I, yeah. I remember Bob mentioning, you know, after Michael died that he, he said, shared that he found Michael tenacious in terms of getting on like getting something on the calendar, you know, oh, <laughs> really, really yeah. pushed, you know, there was a, Michael would go for it and, and, uh, okay. and, and he found it was a, you know, he, he didn't let me, let me uh, sort of wriggle away. <laughs> in a way. Gotcha. Um, and, but there was, there was, I forget the year that Bob's book, the evolution of God came out. It was probably like 2010 ish. Okay. Uh, and, so that was around the time that Michael and I were headstrong trying to really put together this business collaboration that we had in mind. And we were hanging out a lot. Uh, he was, he would basically come in on one or two, three weekends a month from the Valley, from the Northampton Valley live. He'd stay with me and then go back home uh, where his mother was staying. Um, and yeah, he, Bob was giving a talk at the Harvard bookstore and, Oh no way. and we, on, on the evolution of God. And we, we really wanted to get Bob out for a drink to talk to him about this idea of integrating mindfulness and behavioral economics. No way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And what's kind of, I don't know how clearly this has been said around Michael's, like the, the quiet impact of Michael's legacy. Cause I would say if I can, this is, if I, I would say there's a direct line between Michael's interest in behavioral economics and mindfulness and the book, Why Buddhism is True. Uh, okay, yeah. Okay, and, the, and yeah. the link is not so much directly through Michael, but I was the, the part of the conduit to that message because so Michael and I had this idea of combining insights from behavioral economics, how people you know, behave predictably irrationally, how mindfulness can help you become more cognizant of those cognitive biases that lead to irrational decisions. And I mean, this is, as I said in the, in the podcast, like it gives me a, a shiver to imagine that if this had become successful, yeah. you know, if we, had, if we had become the next headspace, yeah, heaven forbid, uh, the world would not have seen Michael Brooks as it knows it. Right. Yeah. And um, so when Michael, we, we, you know, Michael and I ran aground with our, our kind of our psychological wounds that had not healed enough and were kind of making the relationship too challenging. I continued on with it for a little while. I tried to like limp this thing forward until I realized I just didn't have the, the stomach for it myself. But in that limping along on that second retreat that I met Bob Wright, that was one of the things that I remember yucking up with him about like, Oh, you know, like, have you heard of met Like mindfulness can increase metacognition and metacognition is, as Telok talks about is a way of decreasing cognitive bias and that it'll be less prone to these. And, uh, 
that kind of concept I know made it into Bob, one of Bob's pieces in the Atlantic. Um, and, and then I think, you know, really is at the heart of kind of what I see as Bob's Dharma around how he believes mindfulness can help strengthen, grow cognitive empathy, which is kind of the, the root capacity required to overcome, overcome tribalism in his worldview. Yeah. And so, it was a sign of the times though, as well. I mean, because I mean, 2008, the financial crash, I mean, the whole sort of John Kabat-Zinn in terms of stress, uh, you know, stress reduction type stuff was really having a major impact, not only in the medical and palliative care uh, framework, but I mean, it's being retranslated into the business world. So it would make sense. I mean, and even just the, you know, how Michael was so informed uh, around Sam Harris's work, because Sam Harris has some, almost somewhat become, you know, the walking embodiment of that sort of very rigorous sort of, you know, headspace <laughs> character that yeah. drove uh, Michael up the wall and Robert Wright as well, right? I mean, so you guys are all wrestling with this idea that, you know, somehow there's some very great things and something, there's something to Buddhism that is obviously true, right? This sort of yeah. modern buddhism sort of framework and stuff like that uh but also like to me it's interesting you know that the critiques afterwards that came out about that right the whole mindfulness movement in terms of critique you know is this really the dharma if it goes out and starts hanging out you know in corporate boardrooms you know so that and that's a very ongoing sort of discussion and lively discussion for people mm -hmm. to go out and have you know and how the the mindfulness movement, but also the Dharma has taken root in North America. Um, and Michael's twists and critiques of that and how he grew in, you know, obviously wrestling with those questions, you know, and through the conversations he's had with you and obviously some of the back and forth he eventually had with Robert Wright mm -hmm. um, is amazing for me anyways, now looking back and even going through some of the archival. So that's something that I kind of joked around a bit with you kind of, texting you and stuff like that and looking through uh you know the blogging head tv archive because it that's what it is right it's a it's a sort of historical record of those years mm -hmm. uh and those conversations that were being had by so many people you know amongst you guys so and uh so yeah no i mean that part is i mean <laughs> yeah and you know <laughs> cool and, and, it's worth it. it's worth saying again you mentioned john kabat-zinn yeah um you know, Michael, uh, in some ways, was like he was sitting with the royalty of that first generation that brought the Dharma here. Um, yeah. You know, one of his good friends was the son of Daniel Goleman of emotion, like so, th like that, and his direct work with Joseph Goldstein and and his other beloved teacher Michelle McDonald, who was based oh, out in wow. Hawaii, but she was one of the the, the teachers that. Uh, led the uh the young adult um retreats that he was he was sitting uh yeah it was what you're picking up on is that tension between seeing the we i think we all appreciate the amazing potential transformation that this simple practice has yeah and and as you're describing we could also see how quickly like yoga itself became kind of this diluted cliche of itself 
Yeah. Um, and with the mindfulness movement and I, you know, or corporate wellness, I think is right. Or, yeah. And I, and I in your, in your, in your pod in terms of talking about it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and we, I did an, enough of that. Like I dangled my toe in that pond and realized this is, at least for me, this is not the path I can go down. This is, it's, this is just, I forget one of the, one of the articles, whether it was David Lloyd's or somebody that was talking about, it's like, mindfulness in the capitalist system is just, you know, lubricant on the gears and <laughs> just yeah. making it more yeah. efficient, but just equally, just as toxic, if not more toxic. Um, I'm, and that's not to say there aren't important things that, that people can benefit from it in the, in those contexts. It's just, um, it's certainly not like, if you think of Michael's life on the soul level, you know, the heart of what he was moving and, 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 and passioned by, uh, it wasn't about, you know, becoming the next headspace. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, but the, the, and I said this to, with Alicia, his sister, but, um, but there really, there was almost a cosmically weird alignment with Bob and Michael and me. Uh, it just in, in this very minor sense that when we had gone to the bookstore in 2010 to see Bob speak, we asked him out and he just said, no, I can't, I don't have time. He blew us off later that night. I was having a drink with Michael and he said, don't worry. We're going to be on, we're going to be on those shows. We're going to be on talking to Bob publicly. On. And, it, <laughs> and, and I like even then that I never, it's just something I never ever saw myself doing not in any way shape form or i just didn't see it happening at all i could see michael doing it yeah but i i just had no idea and, and um so it was like michael had this prophecy prophecy that this would happen and um and when it actually did through no initiative really on my part yeah um, it's just sort of Bob meeting me again, connecting on retreat. We start talking more about meditation. One of the things that I was trying to get Bob into was, um, are you familiar with the pragmatic Dharma scene? Yeah. 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 So, and, and I thought like, I just was, I was interested in getting Bob to, to explore that a little bit just because it was a comp nice compliment to the kind of approach that we were getting at IMS. Yeah. Um, and that the pragmatic scene really drilled into technique, which is not the whole story but it can really help to get some clear technique under your belt. Um, and I mean, the other thing too, is that's an interesting spin on the Dharma, particularly in the U S because I mean, pragmatism is an American philosophy that has deep, 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 deep roots within the American sort of culture and psyche. And that has, you know, massive influences on many other schools of thought as well. So that to me is, is interesting because I was always a bit turned off in terms of um, the whole kind of secular Buddhist approach uh, because I never quite understood how, well, if it's, if it's secular Buddhism, how does that go up and play out in the public sphere? But if you're talking about a sort of pragmatic Dharma or, you know, applying pragmatism to the Dharma, you know, and how it would actually go out and take root and resonate with particularly American audience, uh, it would make so much sense to go that route. You know, and yeah. it's linked to guys like William James and all the way up to guys like Wilbur as well, right? I mean, some people yeah. have even gone out and written about Wilbur as that, uh, you know, his integral philosophy and integral theory is an extension of pragmatism, mm -hmm. you know? No, I can see that. 
And uh, so that's a, an interesting combo or just even sort of segue. Um, but you guys are floating around with so many other people. I mean, Buddha's Geeks was floating around at that point, uh, which I'm sure Michael would have had some pretty interesting things to say. Well, well you know, um, I, you know, I, I, <laughs> and I mean, I have some interesting things to say about that. Was, like I sat with Gempo Roshi and at one point Gempo Roshi was, you know, once everything hit the fan in terms of his particular community, you know, and he started to, to sit down with Pat Riley <laughs> and starting charging people 50 Bob's grand, money, yeah. 50 yeah. grand to go and sit down with him and do a big mind sort of uh, session kind of turned and, I mean, when I think back to that now under the sort of circumstances that we're living, it's, it's wild. Like, you know, and just a small vignette around Buddhist, <laughs> you mentioned Buddhist geeks because it, that Vince was just get, I don't, and I don't know Vince personally. I actually like Buddhist geeks. The yeah. podcast I listened to, I, I think he and Vince worked with uh, one of my teachers, Kenneth Folk. Okay. Um, so I have, I have no beef and no, none whatsoever. Like I just uh, distant appreciation, but um, that all said, Around the time we Michael had write, wrote, we'd written our little manifesto. We were trying to get some, you know, press for it and get get the profile out. Uh, Joseph Goldstein says, "Well, you should talk to uh, Vince Horn. You know, check out Vince Horn, and maybe he can interview you." So Michael reached out, and I, I just slipped into my Joseph Goldstein accent that Michael per- perfected. By the way, he okay. had the, <laughs> the perfect Goldstein accent. Um. And uh, I know there was like an email exchange where Michael very nicely tried to express like, oh, we're interested in the intersections between Dharma practice and the insights of behavioral economics. And Vince wrote back with this kind of nice, but no thanks kind of reply, like, uh, you know, economics is not really the the scope of what this podcast or this conversation is about on my show. And and Michael's like, he doesn't even understand (laughs) You know, go I mean, I, and I, there again, I, I can't help but go into these voices. Um, you know, everything was a, with Michael was a voice, as as his, yeah. his ardent fans will know. And the voices, the 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 the, the palette of voices we had were all of uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's characters. And there's a crank call tape that was made in the I don't know the late '80s called the Jerky Boys, with like a host of variety of you know cancelable name. Uh, accents and things and um so they would just sort of fire back and michael had this like personal vendetta like he doesn't vince doesn't like me <laughs> For uh but you know to and this maybe there's another way to leap, leap uh, lead back into something that was on the tip of my tongue around personal development because this is something that michael did care a lot about and um there was uh, it still is a podcast called the new man podcast. This is like, it's like in a shoebox tucked away that I'm like, even I'm like, do I even want to bring this out and have like send anyone down this rabbit hole? But yeah. Uh, a, a guy named trip Lanier, who yeah. I knew, I knew his name only because he was a musician on some of Stuart Davis's records. And Stuart Davis was like the integral rocker at the time. Like, and, you know, writing non-dual rock and roll songs. I thought this guy's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Michael got us on the new man podcast to discuss the Buddhist playbook It was the one and only interview we ever no did together. Way. And oh my God, it's like, 
you know, and we were, and I remember we were like, the two of us were huddled around a flip phone trying to hear it on speaker to do the call. No. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah it's well, like, it's kind of the jokes around the, you know, how blogging head TV got right. started, right? I mean, yeah, the yeah. tech side to this is, is so funny to think about how people were connecting or starting to do podcasts. Uh, that's hilarious. Did you, and you still have that? You have a recording in that? It was, it, I actually looked it up uh, maybe a year and a half ago. It was, I don't have, I don't have a download, but it's somewhere online. Okay. Gotcha. You know, um, and the, but the, and the reason I'm mentioning that is that, you know, eat that interview really, you can hear how it would, how would people criticize it now? It's like, Oh, like bro spirituality, like get your, get your head game together. So you can like, you can focus more and do stuff like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like that was kind of At the Riley, vibe. you're going to go out and be a coach type idea. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, well, we were, we, you know, to that point we were, um, we had inroads at Boston university in in the sports psychology program and we're getting involved with some programs there. But my point being is that Michael and I talked about like as, as brothers with each other, we would talk a lot about our practice. We would discuss practice tips and, and, and we really, uh, I would say engaged wholeheartedly with the loose structure of Wilbur's integral practice, like have mm. some, a practice for your body, have a practice for your mind, have a practice for your energy, have a practice for your awareness and ro- exercise those, those different levels of your bo- being robustly as a way of kind of um, greasing the skids to, to, to wake up, you know, more quickly. Um, so, you know, and I think that, particularly the, the body piece of like working out, eating well, getting diet together. And there's some stuff we, he and I both wrestled with not being particularly, you know, Michael will probably shout down at me for a second. I mean, he was a good tennis player, but I wouldn't say either one of us were like gifted athletes or gifted in the physical sense. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think we, we had our, our own complicated relationship to food and, and, food allergies and things like that. So there was like, that was always a piece of trying to massage that, that foundation of the physicality of our being and get our psychology together, whether it was through writing or talk therapy, or um, he got into, I know he was doing more energetic therapeutic work a lot. Um, But even his critique, because this is, I mean, through his book, I mean, to kind of get up to a bit of his book as well, his critique against Jordan Peterson was to the left was to be careful, to be careful the way the left went out and talked about the idea of personal development, well-being, mental health. And that, I mean, the, and the, and for men as well, I mean, for young men to yeah. not alienate them, to bring them into the fold. Yeah, And um, one of his talks at Lafayette College, he gets into that. And it's a beautiful talk on his part. And he says that, you know, he, he described how the left, you know, particularly, I mean, if you want to go and call it the woke left and stuff like that, is, is driving young men towards guys like Jordan Peterson or Sam Harris, because we're not talking about it in a skillful manner. And he was the only person, I mean, that's another dimension of his work that I just appreciate so much is that. I mean, he was able to go out and speak to people's sense of alienation, you know, within the sort of very neo neoliberal capitalistic sort of society, mm-hmm. right? And that that people are looking for a sense of community, 
and people do want to go out there and, and maximize, you know, their well-being and, and feel that they're living a, a, a flourishing life. And that if the left didn't go out and speak to that, I mean, we were going to go out and drive a lot of people towards, you know, towards the right or to people like, you know, figures like Jordan Peterson that would, you know, go out and speak to that uh, in a direct manner. Um, and this and is to, the other thing, to, too. To like, that point, I would just, yeah. is your sense that, yeah, in, in his critique of Peterson, he's saying, and so we can't alienate this, this population and we need to speak to it better. Yeah, you know, and absolutely. I, and, I, and I think that's and with what, heart and with compassion, right? Yeah. I mean, he always said as well, one of his favorite sayings that people eventually picked up up is, you know, be kind to individuals, but be ruthless with systems. Right. And that, uh, I mean, and this is a dimension that I feel that is unfortunately being left out of the conversation now, since Michael has no longer been there. I mean, the left you know, obviously we can go and talk about woke politics or, you know, what people within the sort of integral community would go and call the, the mean green mean. But there's, a, you know, to, to the farther left of that, and I have Michael to go and thank for that, you know, and his embrace and willing to go and dive in deep on the sort of humanistic Marxist tradition mm-hmm. that people, you can't ask people to go out and start to self-actualize if they don't have a roof over their head and they can't go out and get food on the table. I mean, and this is why he went out and embraced a sort of left-wing politics or a socialist sort of worldview. Yet he mm-hmm. was the only one talking about, you know, the need to go out and talk about, or well, I guess kind of what the, in, within the integral community would go out and differentiate between, uh, you know, uh, developmental hierarchies and uh, control hierarchies, right? That society is a sense of, you know, their control hierarchies, but there is such a thing as a developmental hierarchy where mm-hmm. individuals grow and develop and society and, you know, communities thrive or die. Right. And well, then- yeah. And that's, that was, I, I, again, I, I, um, egg on my face. I haven't, I'm two thirds of the way through Michael's book against the web. It's, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's taking me a while to get to it, but um, I, yeah, I, I see a strand of crit- critique against hierarchies in general, mm. you know, as being problematic and, um, well, dominator hierarchies versus growth hierarchies. Yeah. Like you and I would be able to, you know, we can just pull out that motif. But I mean, you put that out in, in the, the culture wars. I mean, what we're witnessing essentially is a big war about that, right? Yeah. Essentially, it's it's all about that. Um, and this is the interesting too about Michael and guys like, you know, tribes like the Stoa and the Rebel Wisdom. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Michael managed to go out and build a sort of community much more further out on the left than you know the stoa or guys like uh rebel wisdom that were playing around with integral theory and he was even in the mix i mean for him to go into those communities and talk about his book this is why i guess me and jeremy were so excited and why we were just like wow this is amazing Mm -hmm. you know what we're witnessing is a major shift within the political culture here uh you know from all the way from the right all the way up to the left and, you know, this might be, you know, a big shift in terms of what people, you know, maybe you and I would have joked about in the, in the late 90s were hoping, you know, that some sort of so-called integral age would go out and pop out into the middle, you know, and everybody was going to sit around and hold hands and, I don't know, sing Kumbaya from there on and end, right? But that's not the way things played out, man. We walked into 2008, the 2000 financial aid, you know, 
So the Obama hope kind of that was in the air for my generation, a certain way, uh, I mean, crashed and burned. Yeah. So, and we're living the legacy of that. And Michael just had a, a way to, to, to weave in and out of some of these subjects. But I, well, I would have loved to sit down with him now, you know, yeah. like, and this is, this is what me and Jeremy have kind of freaked out about. I mean, we connected, you know, on the day that he died. So now I'm just mourning the idea that, you know, this is, this is the type of conversation we could have had with him, you know, and some of the motifs and stuff like that, that he had started to go and develop in his particular book. You know, and guys like you as well. I mean, you know, other people within, you know, different spheres. I mean, obviously we're going to go out and hash it out. <laughs> we're guys, you know, duke out the details in terms of how this will go out. But his book is a legacy of duking out that sort of, of, of battle, right? I mean, what right. are we wrestling with here? So, you know, one of the things I think you're just kind of obliquely touching on, at least what it resonated for me, a sense of his person around and his character about how generous he was mm. um, as a mind. And he, and I think this is a little divergent from his, what I think his public persona to some degree in that he, not to say he wasn't a generous public persona, but in, I just saw him engage with people all over the political spectrum, you know, you know, and he would go for it, you know? So like, I remember when I, I had a very conservative neighbor below me at one point and, you know, he, he would get into things, discussions with her um, in a way that you know, he, he was walking, he was able to be generous and, and, and engage. And, and I could see start to, to soften ideology in, in the conversation. And after he died, I, you know, not the, I, I would say a handful of dozen or so people reached out through the book that we had done, but there was a recurring theme it wasn't, it was that people basically have been converted to uh, a, a more left-leaning socialist type politics mm. as a result of um, his heart. Yeah. They were really touched by just the humanity of his heart. And I, is the way I, what I took it to be. And I think that's coming back to the, the inner development of like the inner, the integral inner development of spirituality I think Michael saw that that development that 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 component of internal practice as being necessary for growing compassion. Yeah, you know, and I think that was one of his final messages: like, how empathic are you? How much compassion do you have? These are like questions that need to be part of like the flourishing life. Yeah. Um, and the cognitive empathy thing that you guys were supposed to go out and he was supposed to go out and connect with, with Bob on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the whole thing too. In, in, in I guess within integral circles and stuff like that, in terms of that perspective taking, right. I mean, are you able to go out and inhabit other people's shoes? Right. And what, what does that actually go out and do, you know, in terms of, and people that can go out and do that, or usually have an unbelievable ability to go out and charm and disarm people. Right. And, you know, hold them by the hand and be like, well, no, just put yourself in this sort of 
other person's shoes mm-hmm. and tell me, you know, how does that resonate with you and how does that go and change and shape people's minds? Um, and this is, I guess it's another thing too, that you guys were talking about a bit, uh, the panoramic specificity, I think it was uh, called. That was a phrase that Michael used like to use in, in, um, in meditation teaching. Okay. So, so again, uh, just to set the stage, we're in the economic crisis of 2008, 2009. Yeah. We're, we're launching a fledgling consultancy around mindfulness and behavioral economics. And as a way to re- generate a little revenue, we were drawing on, I would say, my student base as a yoga teacher. And we, were, we rented a, a small room off of Copley Square in Boston um, where we would have these little meditation seminars for like eight weeks or six weeks at a time. Yeah. And, um, and around that time, that was when Michael kept like really using that phrase panoramic specificity, Okay, which, which in the meditation context, just, you know, suggests an open spacious awareness. That's kind of a, a 360 degree embrace of your moment to moment experience, but there's a, within that open spaciousness, there's also a granular granular level of specificity to specific occurrences that are happening, whether it's a sensation or a thought. And, um, and he, as you were just speaking very beautifully about, he, he embodied that on the political level. Yeah. You know, he just, and, and that's where like, you know, I can do it in meditation, say, but the, the level of, of to be able to do that at the level that he was doing in terms of politics and history uh, is just, to me, seems a, a Olympic level. Um, yeah. And. Well, and there's some people that have picked up on that in Michael's work. I mean, in terms of the uh, meta ideological uh, political podcast with Ryan Nakate, I did an interview with him and he's partially inspired by, um, by, <laughs> by Michael's work. Right. And uh, the way he frames it, or, you know, like if we're going to go and talk about like a full spectrum spirituality, then we need to go and talk about a full spectrum sort of uh, political science. Right. And, and he's deeply inspired by guys like uh, Jonathan Haidt in terms of his most recent work in terms of stuff around moral development and stuff like that, and plays in deeply in terms of some other, uh, other folks. But I mean, I guess just to, to resonate back with you, I guess in terms of that panoramic specificity, context that's i mean my idea of my podcast the name i name my podcast in terms of integral facticity and facticity is essentially that it's 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 your thrownness or your being in the world and the historical facticity of your life and i got that for michael i didn't pull because of his willingness to keep on talking about the marxist humanist tradition and how mm-hmm. it's a, a materialistically grounded practice right i mean there's a practice within, you know, so-called socialism, right? You need to go out there and organize, mm-hmm. but when you go out and organize, you need to be within the community and accept that the reality of what that historical context of what that community is. And you can't do that if you don't have the specificity or the facticity of the reality of what that is. So that's where, I mean, I was like, Oh, wow. Like that's crazy. Like, and to actually go out and think about it. So when I heard that in your podcast, I'm like, wow, that's freaking cool. Like Mike, mm-hmm. like he was already thinking about that like way back in the day. And it's, 
it's his own way of going out and unpacking and making sense of integral theory in his own way. Like he really was, you know, like as a young buck kind of really went out and <laughs> digested all that, you know, all of that work and, and really kind of brought it into, to his studies, you know, within international relations and politics. So, and this is what a lot of people I think have been wrestling with the whole kind of meta modern sort of motif and stuff like that. Some a lot of people have had some critiques of that. And I would have loved to sit down with Michael to, because essentially what they're trying to do is come up with an integral politics. What would an integral politics would go and do? Mm-hmm. And man, if I was to go and have anybody at the table, I mean, yeah. Michael Brooks would have been, you know, uh, yeah, you know, definitely one of the most powerful voices to be sitting around that round table, having that discussion and stuff like that. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. no, I mean, and, <sighs> I mean, obviously, I mean, there's so many tangents that I'd love to go and keep on and, and playing around with you uh, and unpack, uh, particularly on the, on the kind of uh, the full spectrum spirituality that you're still playing with, you know, in terms of your work and the idea of what the Dharma is in the West and how yep. that kind of relates back to, to Michael and stuff like that. Cause like I shared with you, I guess kind of, I, I have much more of an education towards what your education would have been in terms of anthropology and sociology, mm-hmm. right. And my background in religious studies. So, you know, I'd love to have you back on at some point and, uh, shoot the shit about what you think about, you know, the, the American Dharma at this point, you know, or the, the Dharma in North America and some, uh, you know, Bob's book in terms of, you know, what Buddhism is true and what are your thoughts on that and where you think the Dharma is going, Yeah, you know, within the, the next couple. No, of it's years. a great question. And again, I, um, so uh, again, I keep throwing out the words, I live in the woods literally. <laughs> so it, at the beginning of the pandemic life transitions just before Michael passed, um, lots of life transitions were happening. And shortly after Michael passed, I, I moved from Boston up to a small rural rural plot in Maine. Yeah. And um, teach now exclusively online and with my partner. And, um, it, you know, my, I've always been completely kind of fascinated by monasticism. And I would say, in a very loose way, we are fashioning here a kind of low-key dyad monasticism, my partner and I. And and um, so I, I, I just say that because I feel like I'm a little bit adrift from the current climate, the current currents, the currents that are alive and, and, and flowing strongly in, in, in uh, more organized spaces. But yeah, no, I'd love to have that chat with you. Um, you know, I think and this gets into the, the territory of religion, mm. um, but it gets articulated in different ways. And Nisargatata Maharaj, the, the non-dual teacher of the last century in India, would say something like, wisdom teaches me that I'm nothing, and love teaches me that I am everything, and the my life is a dance between the two. And and I know Michael, like we talked about this a lot that, you know, yes, there's incremental stages of human growth and human development with 
seeming ever increasing scopes and spans of compassion and and um, care um and and that's all good um but we talked about how uh, you know the true taste of awakening of non-dual realization is that you know the sense of self being a separate me from the world that you're in that sense of self is is revealed to be the illusion that it is and there's just an immediate unity with your experience all of your experience um as um i think wilbur himself said something like you wake up and realize you're not just a, th- a strand of the web you wake up as the web yeah and and i think that was i don't know how much he would have ever wanted to talk publicly about something like that and i can see and I, i'm not sure how much i want to talk publicly about something like that just in, in like particularly in political you just get marginalized as a non-serious thinker if you if you speak too much like that but experientially and uh it's true and um i think he you know that's where his politics was a care for self you know capital s self you know when they're when the the little self has been has has awoken from its dream uh there's a unity with all of life and a natural flow of spontaneous compassion and care that, that comes from that and i know that was like that was in his heart um he and i would talk about that a lot and um you know to this day one of the, the regrets i have is that when he was going to part of what helped me get appreciate that that truth more was was the experience of psychedelics and um he he was planning to come visit me in boston the month after he passed um and i was going to guide him and we were going to like so th- there was that plan that that never saw saw light but um i do think that mystical realization yeah. which he could, he could his mind would, he could see it in every religion um every wisdom tradition that 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 realization that of of deep unity was i think a, kind of the the quiet silent heart within his in his whole work yeah no definitely i mean the, the conversations that he had with uh cornell west as well i mean you could just see the how they were resonating with one another in terms mm-hmm. of the, the the where the love they they were moved to go and move into the public sphere and start talking about politics and uh and I mean, I was very touched as well in terms of how you talked about Michael in terms of, you know, that flaming light, you know, um, because that practice is, I don't know, you know, how sustainable people can do that. You know, I mean, Cornell West is a, a, an exception. You say the flaming light, what do you mean? As a well, practice? I mean, in terms of, you said that he, I guess his, his overall kind of psyche was extremely sort of made of fire, yeah. right? He was this extreme light, you know, that went out way too fast. Uh, but you were picking up on, you know, a certain element there as well. I mean, to go out and be a public person, you know, if he was serious about going out and moving into the public sphere and getting involved in politics or even political organizing, there's an element there that you need to go out and do. Hopefully you do have some sort of deep practice for yourself, but you're also plugged into a deep sort of loving community to go and help you carry that light out into the public sphere. And it's, you need, I mean, this is where I think the role of religions can go out and play a crucial component. Um, 
And I mean, he was talking about cosmopolitan socialism. So his idea of what cosmopolitan is, you know, sort of cosmopolitan 2.0 or cosmopolitan 3.0, right? And but yet he was willing to go out and explore the idea of what socialism would go out and mean. What would a sort of very deep material condition to go out and help people go out and achieve those, you know, higher uh, realms of human flourishing, yeah. right? And what role could religion or what role can psychedelics? I mean, those are all extremely pertinent conversations to go that are in the culture now as well. Yep, for sure. And I don't know, like we need to have rigorous conversations around that type of stuff, but also to go and have skillful ones, right? What what would wisdom look like in that kind of environment? So, no, I mean, I could see that. I mean, I could see why he would want to, you know, possibly even run away from New York for where he was and, find some sort of refuge for himself to go out and have time to breathe. And I mean, being in front of a, I mean, I just do podcasting for fun, right? Yeah. I'm not a, I don't run a show. I don't run a, you know, uh, that's not my living in terms of what it is. But I mean, if you're on the run doing that kind of production day in and day out, I mean, that's rough on the body. That's rough on your. And a, a little vignette on that. Yeah. Um, just as the pandemic took off, uh, around April Fool's first that year, I wanted to do have an, like a, a, a comic inspired episode on my podcast, which tends to be quite serious. I wanted to have a totally silly <laughs> one. And it was going to be a throwback to those crank calls of the jerky boy days. Okay. Yeah. And, and I had reached out to Michael to have him come on as Saul Rosenberg uh, to, to, to be the crank caller there. And uh, this is to your point about the, the, the energy output of what he was doing, he, you know, I mean, we were texting about it and he's like, I got to rest my voice today. I might be able to do it tomorrow. Let me, let me know what time tomorrow. And, and I was like, you know, if you're got to rest your voice, I understand. And my, my, my point in mentioning that is just that I was becoming aware that how he always valued rest and it was very important. I mean, he, we both wrestled with our own health stuff and, and particularly anxiety. You know, I, I, older, wiser now, I can see, look back and, and really understand so much of what we were wrestling with between us and individually was around the, 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 the energy of anxiety. And I know it was like, you know, a, 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 I won't say a demon around it, but a, 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 a very difficult part of his psychological makeup as it is for me. And, um, and yeah, I can only imagine it, like what that kind of life of being a public intellectual on the road and on the air is like all the time. And was comedy, good. I mean, comedians particularly have it bad, man. A lot yeah. of comedians have struggled with their mental health, substance use. Uh, I mean, cause you're, it's a comedy is like, you know, how can we go and diffuse that anxiety? How can we go and diffuse that angst? Right. Right. Where humor can allow you to be oh, like, like I could breathe in, but that doesn't fix it. Right. And right. if you're just using comedy in a certain way to go out and just because I mean, this is what I get kind of annoyed in terms of some of the late night talk show type stuff. You know, yeah, there, there's funny, but you listen to it. There's a deep cynicism there as well. Right. It's, it's a comedy that's turned dark on certain fronts. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like the shadow of comedy. Right. Where that it would need to go and be integrated and talked about. I mean, and unfor- I, I'd love to say that I'm super funny and 
enter. I'm really not. <laughs> I, mean, I enjoy a good conversation, but I cannot entertain to be funny like somebody like Michael. But I mean, a skill like that is, I mean, to go and put somebody in front of an audience. I mean, you put me in front of an audience, like, forget it. I mean, conversation is not the same thing, but he was doing live calling type stuff. And the, and on the, you're on the feet sort of creativity that you need to pivot and move and, and do that type of thing with a live audience. Like, it's Well, that's it's where, completely... again, that's, that was a gift I think he got from his dad. Yeah. And his, his dad was a, radio host interviewer okay and with his own kind of shows and i don't know too many of the specifics but i know that was a um one of the things that his father's friend spoke of at the memorial was how his dad was essentially like the best self-help coach you could ever imagine like he wanted oh, everybody no to way. realize the potential yeah. and was like like pumping everybody up and this is how you gotta do this is what you gotta do and, he, and of course he couldn't like he couldn't do that for himself, you know? Wow. Yeah. You know, and, and I, um, so I know that a lot of that on the fly comedic, just super smooth and relaxed with the, the waves of conversation, like that all was, that was baked into him very, very early. Wow. Um, yeah. Kind of a, an extraordinary way. No, I mean, and I then thank you too, man. I mean, uh, like the conversations that we've had have been so meaningful for me to, to help me kind of make sense of a lot, so much stuff. I mean, I really cherished, uh, I mean, since launching my pod, the, the, the conversations have been amazing. It's so nice to connect with like-minded people that are exploring amazing. Uh, yeah. Well, I would love to talk and, to you more too. You yeah. can bring, bring me up to speed on what's going on in the integral world. Um, I know we've talked about that. Yeah in the past, but that'd be, that'd be another good, something, something to explore. And I just want to thank you for, um, for remembering Michael with me. It's oh. um, cause I, yeah. I, 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 it's, I would say he's the first and closest and dearest friend I've ever lost. And, um, you know, it's, it, so it's my first rodeo with grief and it, you know, it, it's a funny, it, his mother, um, has done a lot of work with yoga and grief. Like that's sort of become her, her niche a little bit now that she, she's has these courses on, on working through grief. Um, I interviewed her for my show. Um, but it, it, there is a healing I'm finding now. Like I can now watch his YouTubes again. I can yeah. read his, read it, read bits of his book and, and um, welcome back his, you know, his, his voice and 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 spirit his mother said to me over text recently she said well, she was calling out to him and you know in her own meditation and, and and his response from whatever dimension it came was i'll be there in silence when you find silence i'll be there and um <laughs> it's kind of a mystical yeah. little note to end on but it it um no, and that's a beautiful note then on. Like I shared with you, and I'll say it on the pod. I mean, a big thing for me was losing my brother. I mean, I lost mm -hmm. my brother. And uh, I mean, there's something deeply therapeutic in everything that I've been doing the last little while as well. So, yeah, I mean, thank you for that as well. I mean, this is, this is you know, part of my own kind of interior journey as well in these conversations and connecting with people, you know, 
and making sense of my life since my mid twenties or early twenties, right? Now yeah. Midlife has been cool to, to, to connect with people and keep that, uh, just keep that conversation going. So, right. Maybe, uh, this doesn't happen that frequently either, but, um, you know, I teach yoga trainings a lot and we've moved those online and we run them in series and courses and things. Um, every now and then someone writes me an email saying, Hey, I'm really enjoying the course. I can't, I found you through Michael Brooks's work. Michael was sort of my political lodestar. He influenced and just shaped me in so many ways. And, wow. Yeah. Um, and it, to, he, so then to, to have someone that found me through Michael, I, I feel like it, it's hard to describe, but it, it's like, there's a, there's a solemn duty yeah. that, that I feel around. Um, not that I don't feel that with, with anybody that I work with, but um, there's something special about knowing that that energy is, is continuing to kindle. Yeah. Um, and that he inspired so many people. I mean, yeah. that, that's, it's just, it is pretty amazing. So, yeah. Cool. All, All right. right let's leave it at that, man. And yeah. to be continued. All right. Definitely. Thank you.